Good morning, church. Why don't we stand up, worship the Lord together? Now the darkness fades. Now the darkness fades into new beginning as we lift our eyes to a
when the earth gives way for the risen one has overcome and for every fear there's an empty grave for the risen one has overcome Almighty fortress, you go before us. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. You shine in the shadow, you win every battle. Nothing can stand against the power. I'll sing that again. Almighty fortress. You go before us. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. You shine in the shadows, win every battle. Nothing can stand against the power. Sing that one more time. Almighty fortress, you go before us. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. You shine in the shadow. You win every battle. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. God, we declare that this morning. God, we place you uh, in the highest place of our hearts together. God, would you take your throne today in our hearts, in this place? Would you be our focus? Would you be our pleasure? Would you be our God? Would you have your way with us? Open our hearts to what you want to tell us, to what you want to speak to us, God, what you want to encourage us with, what you want to convict us with, God. We just ask that you would speak. I thank you that you don't force your way. So God, we, we invite you. We invite you to come and have your way. Whatever that means, God, we say we're ready, we're willing, and we're listening. God, I thank you that you are more powerful than anything in this world. You are more powerful than the enemy that would try to steal, kill, destroy. So God, would your power reign in this place? Your hedge of protection. God, have your way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated.
all this morning. Um, don't have a lot of announcements this morning. We're kind of just in the groove for our fall activities and ministry stuff. Um, make sure you are checking in on the website and make sure that you're receiving the weekly email. Um, if you don't get that, please let me know or just go on to the Hillside website and go to the Connect page and you can sign yourself up for the weekly email. But all of the events and everything come out on that. The website has all the events. Our website calendar has everything on it. Um, and then the Bible app, which we use for our kind of virtual bulletin on Sunday mornings, also has a lot of that information. So if there's anything you're curious about, um, check in any one of those sources and you'll find the latest information about the men's Bible study, the women's Bible study, our prayer nights, things like that. So just be uh, in tune with all of that because there's a lot going on in the life of the church these days. Lots of ways to get connected in terms of community. Also, a quick reminder, uh, most of you do your offerings online, which has been great. That greatly simplifies things. We also have baskets and a box in the back if you want to do a physical offering, a check or cash, whatever. Just wanted to remind you of that. Um, and then the last thing I want to talk about today is actually we've got a group of people heading to Europe. So I would like them to come up front. Um, I remember when this came up, this was probably at least six months ago, Amy Stennis, when we were, you know, she's like, we're studying the book of Romans. We should go to Rome. And she talked to Donovan about it. And we're like, yeah, whatever, Amy, that sounds great. And then boom, these guys are going to Rome. So we've got a group of people heading to Rome. Um, some of them are already on their way. I think what Amy and... Robin have already left, and Gus and Michelle and Darren and Darren and Amy's two kids, and who else am I missing? Oh yeah, Larissa and Cambria are going. So are they here? Don't see them. All right, so they are. You guys are leaving tonight. They're leaving. Leaving tonight. We you guys. Are, okay. So, so we've got a group going over there, and this is really cool for me as a dad too, because my daughter Abby is over in Europe for three months. She just got a one-way ticket and went to Europe for three months by herself. And she's going to be meeting up with them in Malaga, which is huge for me, for her to connect with people she's familiar with. I know she's excited about that well as well. So they're going to be going to Malaga, Spain, to visit um, Scott and um, Amy Tipton Wiederwall and their clan and visit with them for a few days. And then they're going to go on to Rome from there. So really cool exciting trip great opportunity i imagine there's a little bit of nervousness a little bit of anxiety there always is with this kind of trip so we just want to pray for them um, pray for god's blessings and peace as they go so let's pray together father god we uh, just thank you for this uh this trip that you have ordained lord just thinking back to that time when amy first introduced this idea and it just seemed so far-fetched but here we are and it's happening and we're grateful for that and we believe that you have pulled it all together and that you have ordained the group to go, the team. And I'm just excited for this team to bond together, to uh, travel together, to enjoy Spain and Italy together, and uh, just to enjoy every step along the journey. And Lord, we know that sometimes these trips, um, there's difficulties, there's hassles, there's setbacks, there's delays. And we just pray, Lord, for an incredibly smooth trip. And anything that comes up, any obstruction whatsoever, that you would just help them to handle it with peace, and grace and patience and that lord they would just be salt and light in the world as they travel through airports as they travel through italy and spain as they visit scott and amy and their family i just pray that they would be just refreshment lord your refreshment for everyone they come into contact with that your living water would overflow from them that your spirit would exude from them and i just pray for your protection as well lord physically mentally emotionally spiritually just be with them Watch over them, keep them safe and well, keep them healthy, 
And Lord, just help them to be in tune to any opportunities to serve others and to share their faith and just, just to be genuine, authentic, sincere followers of Christ out in the world. We pray your blessings and favor upon them, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Anything else you want to say? You guys good? Did you want to say anything else? Okay. All right. Well, we're going to go ahead and dismiss kids now. So youth group can head next door. Kids can head out to the lobby. If you're new here and you want your kids to go to Sunday school, take them out in the lobby. They'll get them set up in the right place. And the rest of you can just spend a couple minutes saying hi to one another.
glad you like each other. It's a good thing. Morning. So this is a this is a fun section of scripture, confusing section of scripture. One that Mike and I have jokes about all the way back to our Youth for Christ days. Of one of our bosses, he just brought it up. We were talking about something, and uh, just talking about a, a a pastor that was struggling and just dealing with some stuff. And Jeff was like, well, "What do you do with Romans 7? And Mike and I were like, "We don't even know what Romans seven says. So <laughs> let us read it first. Um, but it, it, it allows us the opportunity, and I think the thing that's fun about this section is um, it's challenging, but it's also very redemptive. Uh, for me, my journey into Christianity was an interesting one. I came out of a very back life of just making a lot of mistakes. I went to church, and just like many people do, my folks drugged me to church, kicking and screaming. So I went into Sunday school, I went into youth group, and I knew truth because I had to sit. They forced me to sit in these environments where this was kind of trickling over me. It wasn't really soaking in though. And so I would find myself oftentimes at night lying in bed after I had accomplished all of the sinful things for the day, feeling this, this sense of shame. I mean, it was just shame. And I realized in that, now looking back, that it was the Holy Spirit trying to convict my heart, like trying to reveal to me all of the wrongs that I was doing and all the things that, um, I was doing outside of what God's desires were for me. And, and so we feel that way, right? I mean, we all have our pre-Jesus moments. We all have our post-Jesus moments. For me, my pre-Jesus moments were really accentuated by a lot of things that I did that were just against what God's heart was. But fortunately, I now have a post-Jesus perspective. But even though I have a post-Jesus perspective, it doesn't mean that immediately all those struggles went away. It took time and is still taking time for me. The more that I experience God's grace and read his scripture and become acquainted with who he is, the things that bring him pleasure, the things that frustrate him, the more I see that, the more I start to see the sin that is in my life. And at 53, I'm like, can we be done with this? Well, I'm not going to be done with this struggle, and nor are you, until we reach glory. And I think that's the opportunity that we have each and every day to work out our salvation and choose Jesus. So as we get back into Romans, the theme for Romans is being righteous. How does it look for us to be right with God, with ourselves, and the people that are around us? The book of Romans tells us about God, who he is, and what he has done. It tells us about Jesus Christ and what his death accomplished. It tells us a lot about ourselves. It tells us where we're coming from and where we're going and where we're at today. And how Christ interacts with us beforehand, currently, and as we move into the future. Paul points out very clearly that God did not demand that we have our lives straightened out before coming to Christ. He says that while we were still sinners, Christ died on the cross for our sins. And so we're in this section of Romans right now. We've broken it apart into sections. And the section that we're in, chapter 6 through 8, really is about sanctification. And I know that's a real churchy word. So if that's a new word for you, I will start to unpack that a little bit for us today so that we can continue to understand 
what these words of salvation look like. But just generally speaking, in this section, in 6, 7, and 8 of Romans, Paul is helping us understand how to separate ourselves from sin and move towards God. The aspect of acknowledging where you're at in this picture and then figuring out what it looks like to move away from your past life and move into a life with Jesus, which every person in this room has an opportunity to do. No matter where you're at in your journey, maybe you're sitting here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus. So for you, your question would be, well, where is Jesus today? And how can I move closer to him to figure out how he can change my life? How he can save and rescue me from all of what I was talking about, all that sinful stuff, right? Because you can't do it on your own. For everyone else that are followers of Jesus, we're all at different places in this journey. And we also need to look around and figure out where is Jesus today? And where does he want me to move so that I can be closer to him in an understanding of what my sanctified life needs to look like? The nice thing in this is I, I like how Paul positioned this for us today. One of the things I love about scripture is God doesn't leave out the junk. Like he puts stories of David in there. Stories of David who faltered tremendously in his morality and before God. His character was corrupted and yet he, he repented and he moved back. And Jesus then looks back and says, now David is a man after my own heart. But David, he messed up a lot, right? Even on our standards today, we would look at David. How could David even be a pastor in a church based upon the things that he did? But he was the one that Christ looked back to and said, that's a man after my own heart. Because he was corruptible, he did wrong things, and then he chose to move towards God. Paul makes a similar statement. Paul says in 7, 24 through 25, he said, What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Unfortunately, he answers this question quickly. He says, thanks be to God who delivers me through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Sometimes I shake my head at myself. Sometimes I do things and I just kind of like, why did you, why'd you do that? Right? Do we all have those moments where we know what we ought to be doing and yet we do the exact opposite? And I will find myself at times looking at myself and being, what a wretched man I am. Like, Really? Is this, the, is this what I'm thinking about right now? Is this what it is that's going to dictate my life? Am I going to let anger and lust and the, my pleasures be the things that dictate my decisions? Well, sometimes, yes. But that's what Paul is going to help us understand today. When we find ourselves in those places where maybe sin, our flesh, the world, or Satan are the ones that are pressing in that we're making choices to follow, we have an opportunity for redemption. He doesn't want us to be stuck in this place where we just keep on sinning so that grace may abound. So open up your Bibles, Romans 7, 14 through 25, and read along with me. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. 
For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but all the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. For if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. A lot lot of doing going on in there, right? So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law in my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin that is at work within me. What I, uh, what a wretched man I am, who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death. Thanks be to God, who delivers me through Christ Jesus our Lord. So then, I myself find my mind as a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. Let's pray. Father, as we unpack your word today, I pray that you, through the power of your Holy Spirit, would move into each person's heart today. Maybe people today need to be convicted and shown sin and the wrongs of this world. Or maybe we need the counselor to come to us to reveal what goes on in the throne room, the conversation that occurs, the heart, the passion, the holy discontent. Whatever it is, Father, I just pray that you would open up the eyes of our hearts and allow each person here today to take away with them a truth that will be transformational. Amen. So the battle, I mean, we kind of see it, right? You read through this, I do, I don't, I do, I don't, I, I do it, but I don't. And so this constant back and forth, it's got this tension, and it feels like sometimes we're just barely hanging on. See, the problem in the battle exists in this. We still have a flesh, and in our flesh there is a sinful nature that was created in it that is not completely abolished. So we have this flesh, but now we have this new spirit. We have this sinful law, but now we have God's law. We have an old self and a new self. We have a sin issue and a striving towards holiness. And we see this starting to break apart when we look at where we've been in Romans. So Romans 6 is pretty clear. Shall we keep on sinning so that grace may increase? No, we shouldn't. We're those who have died to sin. How can we now live in it any longer? Count yourself dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. And then as we look forward, so we're right in the middle of these two, and then we look at Romans 8, one of my most favorite verses, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So we see this this tension that's going on where we're being challenged to not live in the flesh in the past, recognize who we are now in the present because of Christ Jesus and where we're going in the future where we can look to our eternal glory. So in these verses, we, we're contending with still needing to make choices, right? And so even though I am a follower of Jesus, I still every day have to choose not to be held accountable. I have been dead to my sins, but they still exist. So I'm not, my sins are no longer counted against me, but that doesn't mean tomorrow morning when I wake up, I still don't have to contend with sinful thoughts, sinful behavior, a world that is pressing in around me at every corner, trying to get me to be sinful. And then even with Romans 8. I I like that verse because I've talked to so many. I actually had a couple conversations with people this week that know that they're forgiven. 
Like they know that their past is gone, but how much do we often just look back and allow the enemy to use our past, to point out our wrongs? You know, the things that you've done wrong, he utilizes as an accuser to say, well, Kev, you're really not that good. Look at the things that you did wrong. So it's interesting because those things are not counted against me by God. And sometimes I will revert back to those areas because the enemy has had success in those areas, right? And so he's going to continue to use some of the same entangling, deceptive tools with me because he knows it's worked in the past. Don't think you're any different. Like the things that have got you in the past, he's going to keep trying to dangle in front of you. But those are not the things any longer that control you. So that's the difference. Before Jesus, you didn't have an opportunity to be free from your sin. The only thing that defined you was your sin. And when God looked at you, he saw wrath because you were wrong. But now when you're saved, you're not defined by those sins anymore. They still exist, but you are now set free from that. So we're going to keep unpacking that. We're going to keep coming back to that idea. When we look at salvation... We understand salvation has three very important components, justification, sanctification, and glorification. We're in the midst of the sanctification part. We talked a lot in the first parts of Romans about about justification. Justification means to be saved. You are now counted just and right before God. It's a decision that you make to follow him, to believe, and to have faith, to repent. Sanctification is this middle part. the, the terminologies used here in our Bible, it's transitioned and understanding separation. So when we think about sanctification, I, I put wheat and chaff up here, and, and this, this need, because one of it's useful and one of it's not. And you have to separate these things. And I believe that's what God is doing in our lives right now. So as followers of Jesus, there is this separation that's going on where he's sifting us and he's challenging us and he's disciplining us and he's moving us to a point where we get rid of the junk so that we have more of the holiness, the things that are of God. One of the pictures that helps me um, tackle this is when when you think about the Israelites. So how long did it take the Israelites to be freed from Egypt? Like a day, right? So they... In a day, were freed from Egypt. Pharaoh finally said, go. How long did it take for Egypt to get out of the Israelites? 40 years. So if you think about it in the terms of salvation, you think about it and recognize that Moses and the Israelites were justified in a day. They were free. They were no longer held captive. Their identity was no longer at that. But then they had 40 years to try to push captivity out of them. They had 40 years where they had to start, oh, why don't we just go back to it? So see the difference there? Why don't we just go back to our old self? Why don't we just go back to the things that we were actually freed from, which we know the result of, but I I was joking with someone, sometimes it's like that high school girlfriend or boyfriend that you break up with that was awful, and then two years later you're like, oh, did we break up? That was a lovely experience, right? And it's just, you, you tend to forget the junk sometimes. Why don't I go back, right? And we've all had that in different experiences, whether it be jobs or friends or whatever it is. What I want us to do today is make sure that we continue to remember that the gospel and salvation is built upon re- uh, repentance and faith. Like in order to be saved, it's a very simple concept. You need to repent. You need to acknowledge Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You need to believe that he is who he says he is. And that's it. 
Like, that's, that's the gospel. Repent. Believe. But there's this weird dynamic in there called obedience. And I think so many people think that in the justifying stages of salvation, obedience needs to be part of that. I disagree. I think it comes in in the part we're talking about right now, sanctification. Because beforehand, before I had the Holy Spirit dwelling in me, before my heart was regenerated, there was no way for me to be obedient to God's law. I just, it just wasn't. I was having difficulty being obedient just to the things that I wanted to have happen. But when Christ comes, he gives the power of his Holy Spirit. He seals our hearts. We're now written in the Lamb's book of life, and everything changes. And now I have an opportunity to live obediently before my God. Beforehand, I couldn't be obedient. Now I can. And that is what we're talking about. And that's what I think Paul is moving us towards right now in an understanding of what does this really look like? It's kind of weird because we, we talk about salvation this way. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 is, By grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not yourself, but as a gift of God, not as a result of works or things that you do, so that no one will boast or take credit in your salvation. So you can't do anything to earn salvation, but yet now you're in the midst of working out your salvation in sanctification. So you've been sealed. And now it comes to us where in James it says, So to faith, if it does not have works is by itself dead, inoperable, ineffective. So obedience becomes this thing now that we're going to be talking about as we go into the end of seven, and then Sean's going to be talking about it next week as we go into eight. What is this difference between the flesh and the spirit, and how do we do things that are in accordance with what the spirit's desires are? So look at this section again. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate to do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. So that's an interesting point now. So understanding what is the law doing for us, it's revealing to us what is wrong. It, 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 is, it is that tutor that we've talked about that will come and now say, okay, Kevin, now here's what the law says, and this now is a doorway, it is an, an opening into God's expectations for me. Before I didn't have this as a tutor, but now I look at this and I'm like, okay, this is good. And, and I can delight in this, and I can do what it says here. Um, it's now pushing me in a way that otherwise it wouldn't have. And I can agree that the law is good. And I also see that it's no longer I that do it but it is a sin that lives in me. And this is something that can be complicated, but I am now a new creation, but yet I have this lingering aspect of sin that as Sean talked about, and I think Gus talked about really well, it, it still is going to be this entangling for us. And, and sin is this dominant force that's going to continue to try to reach up and tackle you. you know, our boss also, he, this was the phrase that came to him. He said, every, every believer, he told us this back in like 1993, and I still remember it to this day. Every Christian is 30 seconds away from the worst decision of their life. We are all capable of making that decision that's going to change everything. And so be aware that even though I'm, I'm saved, I'm a follower of Jesus, I still am susceptible to sin and its entrapments. And so are you. Like you still have that lingering around the corner. So you got to be watchful. you got to be aware of it. And you look at this too. The thing I, 
I, I see in this is there's a lot of eyes. Eyes are huge. I cannot do it alone. I cannot carry it out. I need the Lord. Without the Lord, I keep on doing that which the law of God reveals. If we don't turn ourselves over away from the I and into the Lord, we will continue to find ourselves in this. That stuck out to me really, really deeply this week. So I find my, myself struggling mostly when it is I-focused, when I'm trying to do things in my strength. In my strength, it is that, that dynamic that keeps leading me away from God. So by myself, I'm not capable of doing it. And that's where the tension continues to rest. We fight against what we ought to do. We find ourselves doing the things that we know we shouldn't be doing. And, and I, I think a lot of people approach this in a negative way. I'm going to change that for you. I want you to approach this in a positive way. I want you to see this as an opportunity. I want you to see it as a daily reminder, a moment-by-moment -moment opportunity to choose God. When you find yourself being threatened by sin, tempted by the enemy, you see that now as an opportunity to choose God's stuff, right? And so it's, it's different. We might get beat down by having to contend with all of this, and we might get frustrated, and even in your failures with this stuff, you might get frustrated with yourself, but then look at it as an opportunity, an opportunity to now take what you've learned and choose God. So Gus, as my systematic theology professor, like what, was it 60 years ago we did that? Um, so one of the things, I still can't believe he did this. He gave me the book, um, what was the name of it, Gus? Huh? The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis, yeah. yeah. Sorry, brain went blank for a second. So he gives me this book and he says, I want you to lead a small group on this. And I was like, I'm new, I'm new. I'm just, remember before, a couple weeks ago, they were just telling me stop using the F word. And so now I'm, I'm like in this class and I'm starting to teach The, the Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis. I had to read the book probably 10 times to even figure out what was going on. The premise of this book is just what we're talking about here. Um, this individual was in this in city and these buses would come in, very science fiction-y, you know, C.S. Lewis writes very science fiction-y. And so these people get on this bus and they'd go off to this celestial place and they'd get off the bus and these people from the mountains would come down and greet them. And in that process, they had an opportunity. They had an opportunity to remove what it was, the sin or this captivity that was keeping them in this city and not going up the mountain to the well. And so some of the people were like, there's no way I'm getting rid of this because this is my baby, right? And every time they would turn back to the city, they would go deeper and deeper into the city. And then they'd come back up and they'd have another opportunity to rid themselves of this, but it was just too painful. You know, these, these beings would come down and try to help them get rid of it, but it was just too painful. So they'd get back on the bus and they would go deeper and deeper until they were unrecognizable. But there was the, the, the main lead in the story that actually started to realize this. And he, as he started to have this removed, he recognized the pain. And then as they started walking, like the, 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 the grass was so sharp, it was painful. You couldn't even lift the leaves because they were so heavy. But eventually it became easier and easier as he ascended up the mountain to the well. For me, that was my story. In the moment, I knew why God needed me to read this because I was the guy that just kept finding himself in the cycle of sin. I'd do it wrong, I would be like, oh, I can't believe I'm doing that. And then I'd have this moment, of, okay, I'm not going to do it, I'm not going to do it. And then I'd set these boundaries up, and then all of a sudden, it's, 
Ooh, here we go again. Oh, I did it wrong again. There I go. And then I feel guilt and shame and blah, blah, blah. And it wasn't until I realized that only God can break this cycle. That only by me putting my faith and trust in God am I going to be able to move past this. And as I've moved through there, Gus, I think I've moved a little further up, maybe three steps up the mountain since then. I've got a long way to go. But that's the picture of what Jesus is trying to do here with us. Fortunately, he sends the Holy Spirit to do it with and for us. If you look at John 16, these are two sections. We know that the Holy Spirit is at work. I believe the Holy Spirit is at work in everybody in the world. There's some people that would disagree with that. But when you read this, bear with me on this. So he is at work, and he has been sent by Jesus. Because remember when he was with the disciples, he said, I got to go in order, to, in order for you guys to actually accomplish that. I know you guys read um, the Francis Chan book. We've done Forgotten God. And on just recognizing how important Jesus is, the disciples were like, well, why would you go? Why would we ever need that? Well, we need the Holy Spirit to come in. And for the world, the Holy Spirit comes in in this first part. So um, he comes to provide the world so they would understand that there is wrong about sin, that they are wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin. Because people do not believe in Jesus about his righteousness because I'm now going to the Father. So he sends the Holy Spirit to bring judgment to pass judgment on the prince of this world, which is Satan, who stands condemned, but for those who are lost, to, to challenge them on what sin is, to, to wrestle them up to a place where they might actually say, I repent and I believe who Jesus is. But then for those who are followers of Jesus, he says, but he, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will guide you in all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive that he will make known to you. And so in this, there's two, there's two ways that the Holy Spirit's moving. He's moving in those that are lost, that don't know Jesus. He's, con he's convicting. He's showing. He's revealing truth. He's using the law to show sin. But for me, he's my counselor, right? He's the guy that comes alongside and goes, hey, Kev. We don't use the F word anymore, <laughs> you know? That, that dynamic of just saying, hey, there's something better here. Let me show you and reveal to you the conversation in the throne room so that you can now have an opportunity to use this sin and these decisions to move closer to Jesus. So the law in and of itself, as we've seen, it is good. It reveals sin. It reveals God. We see in Romans 6:12, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. So you're going to have a master one way or the other. Either you're your master, sin's your master, or I'm hoping Jesus is your master. Because in this verse, we recognize very clearly something is reigning. Like something is in control of your decisions and the direction that you're going. You can usually determine that by the decisions that you make. There are, there's analogies in scripture, like if you're a, a tree, you bear fruit. Well, what kind of fruit are you guys bearing? If you don't know, ask the person next to you. If I, if I want to know what kind of fruit I'm bearing, I just ask my wife. She sees it, right, in a real and honest way. And she'd be able to pull me aside and say, well, you're not bearing the fruit you think you're bearing today. You know, you're, you might be a little bit short today with the kids. Whatever that might be, that is a great way of gauging where are you at so that you're not obeying the evil desires. Even though you're freed from it, you still 
can allow it to reign and be obedient to it. <clears throat> but thanks be to God. Um, though you used to be slaves to sin, you have now, be, now come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You've been set free from sin and become a slave to righteousness. So the dynamic here is you now have in your heart an opportunity to obey and be, place your allegiance into God's stuff. And so that's part of what this is moving us into, is understanding there is a tension between two worlds and two laws. And this is that section, the next section, verses 20 through 25. Now, if we do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. But that doesn't still mean you're not responsible for it. So you still have a choice as these, as these actions and decisions come up. So I find, is what Paul says. So he's been de deliberating over this. He's been thinking about it. So here's what I find. This law at work, <clears throat> although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. So there is the law of sin that is at work, this law of, the f of flesh, this dictator, this master, and it rests right there with us. But for in my inner being, I delight in God's law. So in his heart and in his mind, in his inner being and in his soul, he is finding delight <clears throat> in God's law. And, and so for me, one of my favorite verses is Psalm 1. It says, Blessed is he who does not walk in the way of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but he delights in the law of the Lord. He meditates on it both day and night. He is like a tree whose branches bear fruit in season. Whatever he does prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that will burn up and blow away. And so in this, our delight in God's law is paramount. We've got to relish it. We've got to understand it and delight in it in a way where we are excited that, thank you, God, for pointing out my wrongs. Thank you for your law and what it is doing for me to be able to see how I can continue to grow in holiness towards you so delighting in, law, in God's law becomes important. But let me tell you right now, the world does not delight in God's law. The world does not want to be told what to do and what not to do. The world would like to make decisions based solely on what brings it pleasure. I mean, no effect on anyone else. If this is good for me, this is truth, you just have to accept it. The problem with that is it's mutable. That kind of truth changes. So if you're like me, I, I want something one day and then the next day something else, right? So it's always changing. And if it's based upon what brings me pleasure, regardless of how it affects you, I mean, think about living with that person. God's law is immutable. It's never changing. And he's been gracious enough to show us what it is. He's given us the boundaries. He's allowed us to taste it, to see it, to understand it. To be able to come to this point where it says, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this? We, we know the answer. But on a day-to-day -day basis, that opportunity of I'm going to lean into this rescue. I'm going to lean into the opportunity. I am not going to keep step with wickedness, sinfulness, and those that mock God. So these two laws, the law of my mind, the law I delight with, I am no longer a slave, but I still have to contend with this sinful nature. And there might be days that I allow myself, just like the Israelites, to let their past be the dictator of their decisions. So as we see this again, we recognize Romans 6. 
It's painting the picture of us having to make godly decisions, getting to make godly decisions, finding pleasure in those decisions. And then looking forward, looking forward, Sean's going to bring this next week. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So all of this to say that therefore is very important. Because coming out of all of this, all these things that I do, I don't want to do them, slave to sin, we're now transitioning next week into this therefore. There is no condemnation. So just bear that in mind. That's an important one for you to get. You can't save yourself. Why do you keep trying to condemn yourself? You can't. And so in that, what God then wants you to do is take advantage of the opportunity to choose to move away from your flesh and towards the Spirit of God. Let the Spirit that dwells in you be the dictator, be the one that moves you towards what is expected that you now know to be true because you delight in God's law. So here's our applications. How do you deal with your sinful choices? Just be honest about it. This week, I want you to contemplate. Today, contemplate. When I find myself... All right, so here's, here's another point. <clears throat> I don't think anybody, most people in this room, are going to sin and be surprised by it. I, I think most of the things you do that are sinful at this point, unless maybe this is your first time in a church ever, or first time being exposed to Jesus ever, maybe you've got an out. But for everyone else here, I guarantee you, before you do whatever it is, before you maybe you pick up your phone and go to the website you know you shouldn't go to, you know that's wrong, right? It's not a surprise. As you're driving down the road and that person cuts you off, you know right then what your response ought to be. Your coworker, your family, all of those things, they're not surprises. So as we address this, how do you deal with the sinful choices? Well, I, I would say, how do you deal with them before they even happen? Like when that, that thought comes into your mind or your heart or you find yourself being lustful over something, where do you go? I mean, I, I do, I'll, I'll be honest, I thought about winning the lottery, $1.6 billion. I'm like, Lord, I could probably do a lot of good things for your kingdom. <laughs> but my next thought is what? It's all selfish. It's all what kind of car I'm, I would get. You know, you find yourself driving down the road and you're, you're starting to think about these things. Well, I think that's sinful for me because God's caring for me. I don't need anything else, right? And so just being mindful of how simple something like that can move you down a road of lust, of thinking about things that you don't even need to be thinking about. Do you struggle co- correctly with your sin? Meaning, do you, when you sin, have the same response that Paul had? Oh, what a wretched person. I can't believe I did that again. Or do you just continue on waiting for the next cycle to come back around? Right? I mean, so Divine, that, that whole book, C.S. Lewis, I can't, why I keep forgetting the name of it, but that book, that book was that for me. I found that I would do things and I would just be like, eh. That's a big difference. Recognizing the sin and treating it appropriately and looking at yourself and going, ah, oh, Wretched. Do better, Kevin. Are you choosing God's best? I think that's a lot of what this section is. As you go through your life, are you choosing God's best? It's not about compromise. It's not about, well, this way or that way. Fighting for yourself to make sure that God's best 
is the principle that you continue to move towards. Fight for it. Pray for it. That's what Paul's trying to do here. That's what that wretched comment is. It's saying, I'm not content with this. I want to pursue God's best. I'm not content with continuing to do these things over and over and over and over again. It has ramifications upon my spouse, my kids, my coworkers. Am I choosing God's best? And then how does Romans 8 fit into your theology? Are you judgmental of yourself? Are you the one that's holding you back in captivity? I did this for a season. When I became a Christian, I started, I, I kind of went into this legalistic season. Like it's all black and white. Everybody's got to do this. You've got to act this way. And what I realized what I was doing was I wasn't dealing with the theology of Romans 8.1 very well. I was just ashamed of what I did. And so I am not capable of condemning myself. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How does that affect my day to day? So I, should I keep on sinning so that grace can abound? No. But even though I do sin, I'm going to approach my sin appropriately, but recognize my name's in the Lamb's Book of Life. It's very clear in there. Nothing can take it out of that. Nor heights, nor depths. Demons can't. We cannot out God. He knew that even while we were still sinners, he died for us. So when he put himself on the cross, he knew everything that you were going to do, and then some, and still chose. So his grace, his atonement, his blood, you are not able to out him, so why do you continue to condemn yourself? That's a pretty big area of theology. I want you to contend with that. So a couple of applications this week, but I'd encourage you just to go back and reread that section a couple times now that we've been able to talk about it here, and maybe it'll shed more light for you on what that means to you personally. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Um, Thank you that you've brought us to this point. You have saved us. You have rescued us. You're the one that has reached into our lives, not because of what we've done, but because of who you are. Lord, I pray that through this verse, you would challenge us to, to be who you've made us to be, to live out our calling, to lean into our identity as sons and daughters of God, heirs to the kingdom of heaven. Move us mightily into accepting that and living it out. And in those days where we make mistakes, God, I, I pray that you would use them to help us do better, to move closer to you, to see them as opportunities, not as failures, but opportunities to step closer to you. So Holy Spirit, keep working in our hearts. As we move into music and worship, I pray that you would continue to speak to us and reveal to our hearts what you want each of us to know. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know where you are in that cycle, uh, but that image is, is just so good, so haunting. Um, and just that, that cycle, as, as it is in the book, it kind of keeps going deeper and deeper, and the circle keeps getting bigger and bigger, maybe. Um, but it will always circle back. And I don't know where you are, but it will always circle back. And so let's just go before the Father and, and, uh, and yeah, I love that. Lean into his rescue. Let's lean into his rescue this morning.
Jesus, Jesus, I surrender. Come find your way inside my heart. Reveal the things that I hold on to and free me now. Let's sing that. Jesus, Jesus, I surrender. Come have your way inside my heart. And I release all I hold on to. Jesus, free me. Let's give it to him. Let's sing that again. Surrender. Jesus, Jesus, I surrender. Come find your way. Come find your way inside my heart. Reveal the things that I hold on to. Jesus, Jesus, I surrender. Come have your way. Come have your way inside my heart. I release. And I release all I hold on to.
I'm so forgetful, but you always remind me.
Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, there's no better place for me than in your arms. And Jesus, I'm sorry for running in circles, for placing my focus on ways, not on your I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child. Why don't we stand and sing this song together? Let's just be a prayer for us this week. Honor, 
That's our prayer. Every word we speak, every action, every decision, every choice will be following you. Not because we have to, but because we get to. We get to glorify you and with our obedience. We get to worship you how we speak to each other, how we treat each other. God, what we choose to not be a part of, we, we choose that as an act of worship. Not because we have to, but because we get to. So God, we wanna stay in that mindset. We wanna stay in your heart, God. We wanna stay and lean in to your rescue, God. Understanding that we've been rescued is life-transforming, God. So would you continue to remind us, not in a shameful way, like I know you never do, you never use guilt, 
but that freedom of conviction. Remind us of our rescue and what we get to do for you and your kingdom. So we give our lives to you and we say that we will follow you no matter what. So go before us today, this week, be lifted high, be worshiped. We give it to you in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So as we're here, I just I think it's appropriate for us to pause and pray for Israel this morning. So if you would just continue to bow your heads and pray with me, Lord God, and we know your plans are in place. They've been anchored there since the beginning of the universe. Father, we pray for those that are in Israel or being affected by this war, for the 600 plus lives that were lost and the thousands that are injured, for those that have been taken captive and are now hostages. We know that your word tells us to be prayerful of Israel and the Jewish people. We pray for their salvation. We pray for their recognition of the Messiah. We know that each of these days that goes by is one day closer to Jesus, your return. And we anticipate that. We look forward to that. And until then, we will pray for those that need to be saved, that need to recognize who you are as their Savior. We pray for protection now. We pray for protection of everybody involved in this war. We pray that your glory, Lord God, the God of Isaac, Abraham, and Jacob, will be seen and be known. We pray for salvation. We pray for your eternity, Lord God. It's in Jesus' name that we pray today. Amen. Have a good week.